And welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. And I want to say hello to all of our listeners on Spotify and some of the other platforms that we're broadcasting on here at Sunshine USA. It is a great joy to have you listening. And of course, I'm Warren Landis. I'm your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine uh, USA. Um, Many of you know that we're doing a systematic study of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In particular, we're taking a look at the life and ministry of Jesus. And uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed this study that we're doing on the life and ministry of Jesus. We're also taking a close-up look at some of the parables of Jesus. Now, today we come across a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, you know, it's very interesting Luke is the only one of the four gospel writers which tell us about Zacchaeus. And, of course, uh, Luke doesn't mention Zacchaeus before this chapter or after this chapter. So it would be fair to say Zacchaeus is not exactly a major figure in the Bible. And yet what happened to Zacchaeus is very important. There's a very strong message here for us. And so it's worth our time to take a look at Zacchaeus. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 1. Luke chapter 19, starting with verse number 1. And it says here, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now, of course, it's interesting to note that Jericho is one of those towns that was very prominent in the Old Testament very prominent in the New Testament. You'll remember in the Old Testament, Joshua and the Israelites, they marched seven times around the walls of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. And the Bible tells us the walls fell flat. Well, in the New Testament, Jericho continues to be a very important town. And here we're told that Jesus enters into and passes through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans, that is, tax collectors, and he was rich. Now notice I said publican here, not republican. (laughs) Uh, I seriously doubt that Zacchaeus was a republican or democrat. Amen. He was a publican or tax collector. And in fact, the Bible tells us here, he was the chief among the tax collectors or the chief among the publicans. And it also tells us here that he was very rich. I might add here, the Bible is not implying that wealth is a sin And as we read what happens to Zacchaeus here, I want you to take note of the fact that not all wealth has been obtained dishonestly. Now, of course, it's true that in Zacchaeus' case, as we will find in today's lesson, Zacchaeus did obtain a lot of his wealth dishonestly. But that's not true of all rich people. Sometimes, you know, we... Poor Christians, those of us who don't have a lot of money, 
it's very easy for us to accuse wealthy people of being wealthy because they're dishonest. They, they have some way, somehow cheated the system or cheated the people and they've ended up making lots of money. Now, it turns out that was actually true in the life of Zacchaeus. It was not true, however, for all rich people. Even today, we have some people that are very wealthy, very rich, but they're also very godly. They love the Lord dearly. And you had people like that in the Bible. Look at Job. We know that Job was a man of enormous wealth. In fact, Job would probably definitely go down as one of the top ten wealthiest people in all the Bible. And really, for his particular day and time, he was probably the absolute wealthiest. So there's nothing wrong with being wealth. There's nothing wrong with you having money. Now, I guess in a sense, this is where I actually differ with a lot of preachers on radio and television today. <laughs> a lot of preachers take the attitude, money is evil, so send it to me. Because money is evil. Well, I'm thinking if money is so evil, why does any preacher want it? Amen. <laughs> That's why here at Sunshine USA, I don't spend a lot of time asking for money. And uh, it's because I don't mind you having a lot of money. I don't mind the money being in your bank account instead of my bank account. <laughs> And people that know me best know that I have never made a lot of money in the ministry. And I don't intend to start now. Everything we do here at Sunshine USA is free. I'm the only employee of Sunshine USA and I don't get paid. I do this, what I do on the radio, I do strictly as a volunteer preacher of the gospel and teacher of the Bible. I do it because I love God and I love you. Now, the fact that Zacchaeus was the chief among publicans or the chief tax collector, it means not only did he cheat people out of a lot of money, he was in a position to make a lot of money off the other tax collectors who also obtained their money dishonestly. Now, at this point, it probably doesn't hurt to review a little bit about how tax collectors in the New Testament got paid. The Jewish people were under Roman rule. Roman was considered an occupying army. As a result, the Jewish people were made to pay taxes to the Roman Empire. They didn't like it, but they had to do it. Now, the Romans were very smart in many ways. They were much too smart to use their own people to collect money from the Jews because they knew that would only result in a clash. So instead, the Roman authorities recruited Jewish men to collect the taxes. And they had a very unique way of compensating these tax collectors. They said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to show you how much money each person owes to the government. 
but we're going to authorize you to collect more than that from each citizen. And the difference between what they owe and what you collect, that's your paycheck. <laughs> so the Romans actually had a very interesting way of compensating these Jewish men who were tax collectors. And as a result, these tax collectors became very wealthy. You see, back in those days, these tax collectors, they would go out door to door and they'll say, okay, now, Mr. Jones, uh, you owe us $1,000. Now, they knew that Mr. Jones really didn't owe that much money. He may have owned, owed only $500. But they're telling Mr. Jones, you owe us $1,000. Now you pay us $1,000 or we put you in jail. And they had the authority to do that. And there's no evidence in the New Testament that anybody had a right to appeal the amount of money that these tax collectors were trying to abstract from them. And so they became very wealthy. Now, the fact that Zacchaeus was the chief of the tax collectors, it meant that he probably got a cut of what the other tax collectors collected as well. So he got everything he could collect and a pretty good chunk of what they could collect, making him even richer than the average tax collector. Now, like I say, there's nothing wrong or sinful about having money, except when you obtain that money dishonestly, as Zacchaeus did. It says in verse 3, And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was of little of stature. And he ran before, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. That's in verse 4. So in spite of all his dishonesty and, his, and in spite of Zacchaeus basically being a crook, he had no doubt heard about Jesus. Jesus was now nearing the end of his three-year earthly ministry. And no doubt, over the past three years, Zacchaeus had heard all kinds of rumors and all kinds of stories about this man, Jesus. He had no doubt heard about the dead people being raised to life again. He heard about sick people being healed. He heard about people getting saved and accepting the Messiah. And he said, you know what, I better check this man out for himself. Now, a lot of theories here. Now, some people might have felt like Zacchaeus was thinking, well, if this guy, Jesus, is making a lot of money, boy, I'm going to start trying to collect taxes from this dude. I mean, after all, Jesus himself was a Roman citizen. And Jesus wasn't exempt from having to pay taxes just because he was Jesus. Like any other Jewish man, he had to pay taxes. And perhaps if Zacchaeus could 
let the Roman government know how much this man was making and then assign Zacchaeus to collect the tax, boy, he would be rich just off this one man. But he decided he had to check Jesus out for himself. You see, here's what I suspected. It is a different angle than what some people take. I think deep down inside, Zacchaeus was miserable. Number one, because he cheated the people out of so much money. I mean, seriously. I mean, <laughs> he cheated the people out of so much money. And the other thing is, I don't care how much money you have, it's not satisfying ultimately. Now, some of you might be saying, Warren, what are you saying? I mean, how do you know? Have you, do you have a lot of money? No, I've never had a lot of money. And at the rate I'm going, I'm never going to have a lot of money. So no, I don't know from personal experience, but I just know that according to what the Bible tells us, money is not satisfying. If you had a trillion dollars in your bank account, you would be sadly mistaken to think that's going to solve all your problems. Well, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you say, well, boy, I would sure like to be in that situation and find out. I don't think he would. I think Zacchaeus was just as miserable as he could be. And he wanted to see Jesus, but he had a problem. He was short of stature. That tells us that Zacchaeus was a little man compared to the average man of his day. But apparently, he had heard the news on whatever means they had back in those days. Obviously, they didn't have radio or television. I doubt that they had newspapers, but he had heard the route that Jesus was going to take. And he knew that he would never get Jesus' attention because, after all, he was so little. So he sees this sycamore tree, and he decides he's going to climb up into this sycamore tree. And then he's going to have the ability to see things that he can't see now, and he would see things even the taller people couldn't see. And he would be able to see exactly what it, when it was that Jesus would pass. And so we find, and, and when Jesus came to the place, and he looked up, now him, and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay in thy house. I must stay in thy house. Now, I imagine that Zacchaeus at this point is overjoyed. <laughs> He's overcome with joy. And the reason why is because of the fact Jesus has recognized him. Jesus has noticed him. His plan worked. He climbed up into that sycamore tree so that he could see Jesus, and by golly, he saw Jesus. And more importantly, Jesus saw him. The Bible tells us here, Jesus looked up. Now, why do you think Jesus looked up? I think Jesus knew all along Zacchaeus was up on that sycamore tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down. 
For guess what? I am going to abide at your house. I'm not only going to stop by your house, Zacchaeus. I'm going to abide at your house. In other words, I'm going to be there for a while. I'm probably going to have lunch with you or supper with you or whatever the case was. And we're going to take time to visit with each other and talk with each other. And boy, I tell you, Zacchaeus can hardly believe his ears. Bearing in mind, as you can imagine, people didn't like people like Zacchaeus. The Israelites back in those days, they hated the tax collectors. Just like many of you hate the IRS. Well, it turns out the idea of paying taxes wasn't any more popular then than it is now. And the people understood, furthermore, how the taxpayers got paid in the first place. They got paid by cheating them out of money. And so tax collectors were looked upon as corrupt. They were looked upon as thieves. And most importantly, they were seen as being traitors because they were Jewish men recruited by Rome to collect, to collect taxes from the Jewish people. And so the Jewish people, by and large, they hated these tax collectors with a passion. And yet here Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, you come down from that tree because you know what, Zacchaeus? I'm on my way to your house. Now here we have Jesus doing something you don't find too many churches doing today. You don't find too many pastors doing today what Jesus did then. Seriously. You don't. What you have is a situation where preachers today want to try to recruit people that are wealthy so they could give a lot of money to the church and they want to recruit people that are very well known so that these people will attract other people to the church. But you see, a lot of people today, they don't have time. They don't have time um, to try to reach the homeless or the drug addicts or the prostitutes, or the criminal element. We don't want to reach people like that. We don't want people like that in our church. And my response to that is, why not? I mean, isn't that why Jesus came to planet Earth in the first place? To reach the lost, the drug addicts, the homeless, the prostitutes, the criminals. Folks, that's why Jesus came to this earth in the first place. I heard one time about this young, struggling church. 
located uh, just outside of town. It's a very small congregation. And they were trying to do some brainstorming on how they could increase attendance and increase the bank account of the church. It just so happened that about this time, on this part of town, they tore down an old textile plant and they replaced it with a luxurious shopping center. And up above that shopping center on a hillside, they had some multi-million dollar homes. And the people of this church said, that's who we want to reach. We want to turn our attention to millionaires and try to reach them for our church. Because if they got saved and they started tithing, boy, I tell you, our bank accounts would be filled to overflowing. Well, I think that's sort of wishful thinking. I mean, right now we have a lot of poor people in our churches, and the poor people aren't tithing too well. And I doubt that the rich people would tithe even any better. Amen. But very importantly, there was a slum neighborhood located between this luxurious shopping center and the million dollar homes. And somebody at a church business meeting, they said, Pastor, what are we going to do about this slum neighborhood? There's about three or four times as many people living in the slum neighborhood as live in the million dollar neighborhood. You know what the pastor said? He said, those are not our kind of people. Referring to the people that live in the slums. We want to reach the people that live in those multi-million dollar mansions. And they set out to do just that. In fact, they decided they would have monthly car shows. Classic car shows. And they knew that, you know, hey, if you have a classic car to put on display, you've got money. And boy, we want to reach those people with our church. Well, last I heard, the church wasn't too successful with that campaign. First of all, I can tell you this from experience. Rich people are much harder to reach for the Lord than poor people. Rich people are much harder to reach for the Lord than poor people. You know, poor people realize that they don't have much. And so the last thing in the world they want to do is go and spend eternity in an awful place that the Bible calls hell. But you see, rich people, they have so much money. You know, they're thinking, man, I don't need God. Look at all the money I have in my bank account. Look at my stock portfolio. I have a ownership stake in hundreds of companies across America in my stock portfolio. What do I need God for? That's what a lot of people are thinking. That's why I say wealthy people can be unbelievably hard to reach for the Lord. Um, 
you need to realize that whenever you as a church take the attitude that one group of people or another is not your kind of people, that church has just signed their death warrant. They're going to die, and rightfully so. You need to take the attitude that anybody who loves Jesus is welcome in our church. I don't care how much money they have. I don't care how much education they have or how little education they have. I don't care how much time they've spent in jail. I don't care how much of a criminal record they have. They are welcome in God's house. Woo! <laughs> I'm trying to lay it on the line here, folks. You don't necessarily hear a lot of preachers in America preaching like this. Amen. So let's go on and see what happens next. And he that is Zacchaeus made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was going to be guest with the man that is a sinner. And I say, so what? That's why Jesus came to the earth in the first place. That's why I say, you know, when you're a preacher and you go after the bad guys and you try to reach for Jesus, you're, you're not going to be popular. You'll be amazed at how much criticism you run into. Amen. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And I and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I will restore unto him fourfold. Now notice he says by false accusation. This is where he accused them of owing X amount of money in taxes, which was probably, you know, four times what they actually owed. And he says, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to make complete, full restitution. And half my profit, Lord, I'm going to give it to the poor. Verse 9, And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to thy house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. Notice that Jesus says, This day salvation has come to thy house. You see, when you have an authentic encounter with Jesus, that changes everything. You don't become a Christian in name only. When you become a Christian, it affects every square ounce of your life. You become dramatically different than the kind of person you were before. Totally different. And then Jesus says in verse 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. See, that's why Jesus came 
into this world in the first place. To seek and to save that which is lost. You might say, well, Warren, you don't know what a sinner I am. And I say, it doesn't matter. And you're right, I don't know what kind of sinner you are. But I can tell you on the authority of God's word, you're exactly why Jesus Christ died on the cross in the first place. He died on the cross for your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world. Amen. You might say, well, Warren, how can I have this new life that you're talking about? Well, let me tell you. I'm glad you asked. First of all, you have to admit that you're a sinner. Now, I have to tell you, when I got saved, that was not easy for me to do. You know how old I was when I got saved? I was 14 years old, a teenager. I wasn't old enough to commit some sins. I wasn't old enough to drink. I didn't have any money to gamble with. I was too young to go to the bars and the nightclubs. There's a lot of stuff I couldn't even do because I was so young. But I had to admit that I was a dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking sinner. And then I prayed and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and give me the abundant life that he talks about in the New Testament. And folks, Jesus did just that and so much more for me. And I can tell you that what he has done for me is the same thing he wants to do for you. If you'll just simply turn your life over to him. I'm going to pray a sinner's prayer right now. If you pray this prayer or a prayer similar to it, God's going to save you. He's going to give you new life. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. Lord, I admit even at my best I'm a dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking sinner. And Lord, I ask you right now to come into my heart, come into my life, and give me new life. And now, Lord, thank you for saving me, for giving me this new life. And now, Lord, that I'm saved, help me to spend time every day reading and studying your word. Lord, help me to get involved in a good local church. And help me to tell others what you have done for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And let me tell you, if you just prayed that prayer, or a prayer similar to it, I want to hear from you. I want to hear what God has done for you. I want to hear how your life has now become brand new. You'll find that what God did for Zacchaeus, what God's done for me, he's more than willing to do it for you. Give it a shot. You won't be sorry. You'll be glad you did. Well, if you have any Bible study questions or prayer requests, I'd love to hear from you. If you just prayed the sinner's prayer, I would love to hear from you. I'll send you some free information that will help you be on the right road to grow as a Christian.
It's all free stuff that I'm going to send you. And all you have to do is let me know by contacting me by email. I've got two email addresses. One is warrenlandis at yahoo.com. And the, the other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com. Now, I also have a snail mail address. My snail mail address is warrenlandis, 80 Thrusted Street. That's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N, 80 Thrusted Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. Like I say, I'd love to hear from you. I pray for each of you. I love each of you. And don't worry and don't fret because I'll see you next time here on Sunshine USA.